This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. Almost nothing surprises me at this point. We can't package that batch because it didn't pass sensory or we got on a huge promotion at our biggest chain and oh yeah that starts tomorrow so we needed to ship beer two weeks ago. We are switching our seasonal for for next winter and we had I think five layers of cans left over and that was it for the end of the brand and that was like the biggest win I've had in months and only Matt and I appreciate it. (laughs) This week on the show Fail to plan, plan to fail. Our friends at Highland Brewing talk about the network of people, tools, forecasts, and workflows it takes to build their production schedule. Hey, um, I'm Abby Tamashuk Reynolds. I am the production manager at Highland Brewing. Hi, my name is Matt McComish. I'm the brewery director here at Highland Brewing Company in Asheville, North Carolina. How long have you guys worked at Highland? Um, I will be here two years uh, next month. Okay. And I've been here six. Six. Okay, cool. Do you know, um, Matt, did you, do you, did you know uh, Greg Ferguson? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I shared an yeah, office with yeah. him. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I know he's not there anymore, but and I haven't talked to him in years. But um, so I, I played in a, um, in a band in college with Greg. Oh, and, damn. Uh, yeah. What? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so my, my claim to fame is that Greg and I, I mean, he's, he's a very talented musician. He's very he's done, good. Done lots of other stuff, but, uh, Greg and I played in this live hip hop band together. And my claim to fame is we got to open up for Buster Rhymes one time. Holy shit. Yeah. So. I said, I sat next to him for like two and a half years and he never told me that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Greg. Highland is an old school regional craft brewery. I believe the brewery opened in 1994 and you're producing a little shy of 50,000 barrels today. First, I want to hear about the complexity because I spent a lot of my career 
working in regional crafts that got started plus or minus five years from from Highland. And I know just how out of hand the complexity can get when a brewery starts small and grows 10 or 20x over a decade or more. So tell us about your packaging types, number of SKUs, batch size, packaging lines, workforce, that sort of thing. Yeah, I would definitely say it, there's a lot of complexity. I think the hardest part is, um, it's, it's always been for me, there's so many breweries uh, where folks have been elsewhere and started another brewery and they've learned all those lessons and the challenges with a, a brewery that's been here since the 90s is that we're still trying to figure things out and get out of old habits. Um, but it's also really great to have such a, a rich history. Um, uh, right now we've got, um, bottles, cans, and kegs. Um, and like you said, we make just shy of 50,000 a year. Um, prior to COVID, we were about 60% in, um, bottles and cans off premise and 40% in on-premise kegs. Um, that's definitely shifted. Uh, I would say, I don't know, Matt, you can correct me, but I, I think we're about somewhere around 80 to 85% off premise at this point, if not more, um, fluctuating month to month. Um, so we've got one packaging team. Uh, they work in um, staggered shifts of four tens, um, one group working Monday to Thursday, the second group working Tuesday to Friday. And then we've got three shifts of a brewing and cellar team. Um, and they work round the clock uh, starting at 6 a.m. on Monday all the way to 5 p.m. on Friday, 24 hours. Cool. So how many um, and have, has your um, has like the number of SKUs, you know, in, in packaging, has that changed drastically as a result of COVID as well or no? I'd say we've definitely focused on um, certain brands and certain package types. Uh, when COVID first started, um, it was very slow for everything, um, but then quickly moved into our large format packages, so our 12 packs and our 15 pack, um, a lot of variety packs. So we kind of had to change how we did that and, and um, focus more on, on those packages when we were so reliant on um, in the grand scheme of things, on kegs uh, being forty percent draft is is quite a bit. Um, so that shift um, had to happen um, pretty quickly, and we were able to adapt. And we went to four tens on our packaging line to um, to run uh, five days a week. We'd have two teams, so we can get package more in cans and bottles because um, we just couldn't keep up. Um, with with how much we're we're getting on order, and to go back to your complexity question, I just wanted to uh, to mention that I feel like I've been here six years, so I feel like when I started, we were very complex, um, and I feel like we're now trying to simplify, um, even just within our footprint. Um, We've simplified um, where we distribute beer. We just pulled out of Florida. We've pulled out of Ohio, Alabama, most of Virginia. So we've really started to focus uh, where we sell the most beer and, and frankly, where we matter the most. And, and that's uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, 
uh, in Georgia. Neither of you have been with Highland throughout the decades, but before we get into how the brewery approaches production planning now, I'm wondering how much you know about how Highland's production planning process has evolved over the years. Yeah, so I started here as the distribution manager and um, hopefully Leah, the president, is not listening, but I knew nothing about distribution. Um, I had to look up what an LTL was um, <laughs> my first day. <laughs> nice. So, so I came in um, kind of jack of all trades. Uh, I'd been in beer for a while um, and I really just wanted to work for this company. And I was dealing with all of our distributors and beer going out the door and we were getting, you know, some complaints that we were out of stock. The dates were a little too long and I couldn't wrap my head around why we were doing things we were doing. We were basically just brewing whatever we did last year at five or 10% and put it in the same package. So if one of our brands started taking off, we'd be out of stock. If one of them uh, started to slow down, we'd have way too much. Um, so I really started to kind of ask around in the, the beer industry, like how other folks were doing it. Some folks that I, I, I started with were Allagash and Victory um, and kind of picked their brain about how they do production management um, and kind of developed uh, a different way of looking at it where it was like, let's let our distributors order the beer. They're the ones that are buying it. And then we make production based on that, which was, which is super simple, but it was not what we were doing at the time. Um, and we've kind of developed that into um, over the years. And, and something we really do a great job with here, I think is we, um, continue to make improvements on it. So like if you looked at what we did five years ago, it looks nothing like what we do today or even what we did last year compared to what we do today. We're, we're always trying to improve that process. And um, yeah, I think it, it, we're, we're really um, driven by what we get on order uh, from our distributors, what's pulling from the market, and then we make it our beer based on that. Before you can plan production, you have to make some educated guesses about what's going to be needed. Let's hear about what forecasting looks like at, at Highland now. Uh, yeah. So right now, um, we kind of take an approach and make three different forecasts at the beginning of the year. Um, usually we start this process around August of the year prior. Um, so for 2021, we started in August 2020, taking a look at um, our sales over the past year. And basically, um, we kind of divide and conquer. We've got a production forecast that um, Matt and myself look at. And then we've got a sales forecast um, that's mostly through our sales director and um, the regional sales managers. And then we've got a third forecast, um, which our controller puts together from a financial perspective. Um, and by looking at the three of those together, we kind of try to come to an agreement of where we think we'll be um, with production probably being the, the uh, most rose-colored glasses of the three, I would say. Um, we, 
we kind of try to overshoot in terms of production just so that we can um, cut back if we need to, rather than trying to add things on. But usually we'll put those three together, kind of come up with an idea of how each of our brands um, are going to perform in terms of overall volume and percentage growth. And then from there, we'll kind of make a schedule that basically plots out all of the brews for uh, the year. Um, and then we shoot for a total barrelage for each of those brands. Um, and then once we do that, we kind of map it out in our tank farm. So we actually take the, the schedule of brews that we planned um, and kind of assign them to our fermentation tanks. Um, and that's just mostly... Ooh, Sorry about the noise. Um, that's mostly to just make sure that uh, we have enough capacity in our fermentation tank to do uh, what we say we think we're going to do. Um, and then we can plan for additional tank capacity if we need to. So we're, we're evolving this process as well. And um, this has kind of been like, a okay, we're going to do this at the beginning of the year. and kind of set it and forget it. And um, obviously stuff happens. Like the forecast we made for 2020 went right out the door um, in March. Um, and we didn't um, truly come together, the three, you know, forecasting folks um, and reevaluate. And that's something that we're, we're introducing this year. Um, creating forecasts throughout the year instead of just that one at the beginning and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, every quarter kind of look at, you know, the trends of how things are going and then reevaluate and adjust our schedule and adjust the forecast um, for cash flow through accounting and, uh, and sales as well. Talk about the software and, and, and your data sources that you're relying on um, throughout this process. Yeah, so for sales, we obviously use um, VIP, which I think everybody um, uses that. And I've gone through different um, forecasting softwares that are not used necessarily in the beer industry that have had mixed success um, that kind of just ran our shipments uh, through, it was you know some crazy algorithm that would populate like, you're going to make this much beer. Um, which our core brands are relatively consistent um, throughout the years, uh, you know, plus or minus a couple of percent. It's the new beers that we really struggled with um, forecasting and, you know, no algorithm in the world can figure out like you're going to make a hazy beer this May. Nothing can tell you how much you're actually going to sell. Um, so a lot of that is is through our sales team, through our distributors, um, looking at IRI, Nielsen data, how others are doing in the in the markets that we're shipping to. Um, but we've kind of pooled our resources together um, throughout our network to kind of figure out those things. Um, yeah, specifically, new beers are impossible for a brewery our size to kind of figure out what the velocity is going to be. Yeah. So we use, we use um, Microsoft Dynamics Great Plains for just our general accounting. Um, and that's what also keeps track of our 
finished goods inventory and orders that are in progress. Um, so through there, we basically just kind of have a live snapshot at any time that we run the report of what's physically in the building versus what is um, being requested by our distributors. Um, and usually kind of the difference of the two, um, it's really in terms of when we're doing production planning, um, kind of like a very glorified uh, table spreadsheet um, that we just basically sort by what's most needed and what's least needed and kind of determine our needs from there um, based off of the difference of on hand versus on order. Um, and then generally we kind of, uh, yeah, basically take a look at that, um, and plan out not only, um, the actual quantities that are allocated and making sure that we're fulfilling orders, but we try and build in safety stock, um, just for order changes and things of that nature. Um, that is pretty brand dependent. Um, usually our better selling packages, we try and keep a little bit more. Um, but usually we strive for, I, I would say maybe about an, an additional week worth of inventory on top of what's on order um, just to accommodate any last minute adjustments and things like that. So just so I got this straight, so it's been a lot of years since I've used VIP and some of that stuff. So is VIP actually telling you the inventory at the distributor or is it just telling you like the IRI data and sort of the sell-through rate at, at retail? So the VIP is um, telling us a inventory. It's not necessarily live. It's usually like a couple days behind, um, but it's also... Um, showing like what we've sold what we've sold to retailers in a month so we can kind of see like okay so this this brand's really taking off um in our days on hand at distributors just went down to six and i'd like to just plug that we we created a position um that i don't think is at many breweries um I, I wouldn't even know her title right now but uh her name is amy and she monitors our vip and is basically the, the, the link between the brewery and distributors, you know, obviously we have sales reps, but she's, she's looking at the orders and she um, plugs in the order um, along with the VIP data on their days on hand. And then we'll then make adjustments. We'll uh, ask the distributors if we can make adjustments up or down um, to the order. So she's really like, fine tooth comb through the order to make sure, you know, they're not ordering too much of something or too little um, and keeping that kind of homeostasis of, of beer um, at their warehouse too. So it's, it's something I think we do a little bit differently and, and really pay attention to uh, not only our uh, inventory here, but at our distributor warehouse where you know, we have 30, 35, 40 distributors at this point. So she's really monitoring that too. That's cool. That makes a lot of sense because, I mean, I've seen a lot of scenarios where if that's not the case, um, it's pretty easy for a distributor to be sitting on, you know, you get lazy distributors that they're, they just don't want to be out of stock and they don't really care about the freshness of the beer. And so they, you know, they've got a bunch on hand and they keep over ordering and um, that's just not good for your brand. So it, it makes a lot of sense to stay on top of that. 
plotting out what's happening during the week. Um, that's a separate Google sheet that gets shared to everyone um, that they can access through their phones or their computers. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, Try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer, Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. BSG is partnering with Leopold Brothers to bring a new line of small batch handmade malts to brewers and distillers. Leopold Brothers is a family-owned floor malting operation and distillery and 2020 James Beard Award finalist located in Denver, Colorado. Since brothers Scott and Todd Leopold first opened their doors in 1999, they have created everything from classic unfiltered lagers to a number of spirits, including a wide array of whiskey styles. Learn more about the upcoming malt line by going online to bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact BSG at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Fermentis, the global supplier of active dry yeast. You can listen to Kevin and Marcelo talk about the shelf life and performance of active dry yeast on episode 93. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Districts Milwaukee and St. Louis both meet March 18th. A couple of our veteran podcast guests will be putting on a webinar on the topic of standardized data collection with ASBC sampling plan. That's going to be on March 26th. There's a Master Brewers webinar on April 13th called To Congress or Not to Congress, a topic you'll find familiar from our 200th episode. District St. Louis meets April 15th. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Technology course begins April 21st. And the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. There's finally a beer industry conference you can put on your calendar that might actually take place in person. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew.
now back to the show. How does your work in process inventory, so what's in your tanks, integrate with your finished goods inventory and forecasting? Is there any automated logic there or is that where you guys have to connect the dots? Go for it, Abby. <laughs> it's pretty much um, like a hundred percent person, no automation there. Um, yeah. So our accounting software basically has that, um, that table snapshot of all of our inventory. Um, and we basically will take that and just export it into a spreadsheet format. So it gives us just the raw data of here's the package type. Uh, here's what's in inventory. Here's what's on hand. Um, and then what is actually being asked by the distributors. And then we take that raw data and we, we basically made a Google sheet online. Um, it's on the cloud so that I can look at it, that Matt can look at it, that anybody who needs to look at it can look at it from whatever computer. Um, and that spreadsheet is how we actually allocate out um, the batches of beer that are in progress in the cellar based off of what is on order. So um, this spreadsheet will take the difference of the orders and on hand. Um, and from there, we can take all of the, the work in progress that's in the cellar, um, how much barrelage of beer that we have. Um, so for example, we've got 200 barrels of Gaelic, our amber ale in the fermentation tank. We can basically just start to plug in quantities that will help us get us out of the hole of um, that inventory discrepancy. Like, so if we're in the red, we've got a thousand cases on order and we've only got 500 here in inventory. We can start, we can say, all right, well, we need to make at least 500, if not more for our safety stock. Uh, and we can type in those quantities into this spreadsheet. It converts them into their barrelage quantities um, with a little bit of a loss factor in there. And then we'll total up. So we basically just kind of plug and play numbers to add in the quantities that we need to make to fulfill our orders until we get our total barrelage allocated by those package quantities. So we're kind of just going back and forth, typing numbers in um, until we basically have allocated an entire batch of beer. Um, and we've kind of got like a general idea of what our average yields are going to be when we move those beers from the fermentation tank into the bright tank. Um, we keep a really close eye on our yield percentages for each of our brands and kind of have an average um, for each of them. So something that's dry hopped, we're generally expecting to get less out of that. Um, something that is relatively malty, maybe the recipe is built a little bit higher, we might even get more barrelage um, than the 200 if we're planning for a 200 barrel batch. Um, so we're, we kind of have that mentally plugged in and then we're just allocating until we get to that estimated number. So when you're selecting tanks to move out of maturation into packaging to fill your orders, it, it sounds like that's a very manual process. What what are the other are there, are there any other various considerations that you sort of are weighing as you make those decisions? Yeah, um, I think obviously like the biggest thing that we're 
keeping track of is how old the batches of beer are. Um, you know, first in, first out goes for the seller as well. So the oldest thing we're moving first. Um, we have a pretty big outline. Um, our seller manager is really good about keeping an eye on how long the beers have been in process. Um, and usually we try not to move anything that's younger than three weeks old so that we're giving them a nice amount of conditioning time. All of the solid materials are dropping out to the, um, the levels that we want them to, and that we're also not letting them stay in the tank for too long. So age would definitely be the biggest consideration. Um, the, generally, the only other things that we're looking at would be um, if that batch of beer is needed for uh, yeast management, if we're going to be needing to take some yeast off of that, we don't want to move it out of the tank and then not have a yeast source. Um, but I would say pretty much age is the biggest consideration. Okay. You mentioned earlier that you're using Google spreadsheets. To what extent does your process rely on free tools that any small brewery could leverage versus expensive or custom software that might be out of reach for the smaller operations? Yeah, um, with the exception of dynamics that we use for accounting, everything that we do for production is in Google Sheets. So it's pretty much That's 80% awesome. free. <laughs> yeah, great. so it's not just actually our, um, it's not just our production planning like that spreadsheet um, that is actually looking at the numbers. We also do our production scheduling in Google Sheets as well. So when we're plotting out what's happening during the week, um, that's a separate Google Sheet that gets shared to everyone um, that they can access through their phones or their computers, but it also gets put onto um, TVs throughout the brewery. So it's just, you know, little Chromecast Google Sheets and just displayed on the TVs. So yeah, it's mostly just free stuff <laughs> That's that we're great. all usually, yeah. And it's all stuff that we're, we all use in our personal lives as well. Um, most of us use Google, Gmail, Google Sheets. Um, Can't get away from it. Out of work too. Yeah. Right. So user-friendly so, for sure. So um, talk a little bit more about the, the staff scheduling and whatnot. Um, I, I'm kind of just curious how, you know, um, Obviously, in any brewery, no matter how well you plan this out, there's going to be last-minute changes, right? And uh, I'm kind of curious how, not not just how your staff scheduling um, interfaces with all this, um, but how that works when, when there are last-minute changes. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, definitely, the last-minute changes are a thing that we are very intimately familiar with and happen very frequently. Um, for the most part, the staffing is um, on the managers. Uh, we've got, you know, like a brewing manager who's doing all the scheduling for the brewing staff. We've got a packaging manager who's scheduling out packaging staff. Um, but for the most part, um, we have a rough idea of what the schedule is going to be like the Wednesday before it happens um, and we get, we basically distribute that out and the managers will staff accordingly. Um, and then for those last minute changes, um, we kind of all come together as a group and try and plan out, all right, if we need to make a change, how can we make it work and still make it work with the staff that we have? So 
for example, um, if, you know, we can't can one day, uh, we want to make sure that if we need to reschedule that canning run, it's a day that there's already enough people to run the can line for that day. So it's, it's a very, it's a very like involved process, I would say between all of the managers, the folks who are making the schedule for the production, the folks who are making the schedule for the staffing kind of all come together as a group and make it work for everybody. Um, so I would say that we kind of like, uh, like, we do this as a team and we kind of work with the constraints that have already been laid out with us. If we ever have to make last minute changes. We obviously put a lot of emphasis on fresh beer and orders and uh, have created guidelines for our distributors. So we are seeing less and less of these, you know, last minute changes. Oh my God, we had a big run on this, this one on sale. Um, what we've done as a group is really um, not pushed people into you know overtime hours when it's just not necessary um so when we do come up come into a situation where it's like hey we just got on this this deal for this big grocery chain and we really got to push through some of these cases like we make sure the whole staff knows that that beer went out the door the next day and that their efforts were you know used to to create all that beer um we're not just, you know, doing a 12 hour shift uh, to make beer and then it sits for two weeks. Um, so I think we're, we're very aware of, you know, people's time and making sure that it's worth it too. And when we do have to, to kind of go all in, uh, it's, it's worth it for everybody. You've figured out which brands need to get packaged. You've turned that into a schedule that's feasible based on the staff that you have and how many people it takes to run each line. What about labels and boxes and cans and lids and bottles and crowns, et cetera, et cetera? How do you know if you've got enough of everything to do the run? And some of those items can have pretty long lead times. How do you approach ordering those materials? Yeah, so the same spreadsheet that we have that turns the package quantities into barrelage quantities um, also links to uh, a material planning portion of the spreadsheet as well. So if we're making 500 cases of something at the bottom of our spreadsheet, it's telling us, okay, if you want to make 500 cases, that's how many cans you're going to need. This is how many cartons you're going to need. These are how many raw pallets you're going to need. Um, so there's a, there's a material portion of that spreadsheet as well. Um, generally, we take that snapshot and do a floor count every week, um, just kind of eyeballing our inventory and make sure, making sure that we've got those quantities that are being requested for next week's schedule available here on site. Um, we have par levels for all of our materials here. So um, we have a certain number that we always keep of mother cartons for our bottle cases. We've got a certain number that we always keep for our 15-pack can cartons. Um, and if at any time the production that's planned for the following week is going to go below those par levels. We're making sure to reorder so that we can have that par level on site once we have that production done. Um, as far as looking more long-term at material planning, um, generally we try and work within the confines of the lead times that are given to us by our 
packaging material vendors. Um, so we work really closely with West Rock, who provides uh, the six-pack uh, bottle baskets and the can cartons for us. Generally, they um, have about a five-week or so lead time at this point. So usually we look at our inventories of packaging materials at least once a month. Um, and we try and plan out our larger runs um, to have at least four to six months of inventory every time we're running. Um, so that is yet another Google Sheet spreadsheet that we use um, that's for packaging materials specifically uh, where we kind of take our inventory on site, inventory at the vendor compared to uh, our past sales for the time period the year before, our forecasted sales for the time period this year, um, and just make sure that we run enough material to have six months of inventory. Um, so on the short term, we're looking at our packaging materials once a week for the weekly production and then once a month for the long-term production runs. Um, and we have pretty decent relationships with our vendors that a lot of them um, will keep some uh, inventory on their site. And so we kind of just use it as a delivery as needed. Um, and then some vendors, we keep all of the inventory here at our facility. So it kind of depends. But um, usually we, like I said, it's mostly just par level based, um, both in the short term and long term. The results of your packaging schedule. So everything we've talked about thus far, that's what drives your seller schedule. Talk about that. Yeah, um, because the way that we've planned our production, that it is pretty much order dependent. Um, packaging is the, the, the first go-to from those orders. So we basically determine what we need to make um, and then we work backwards from there. So if we need to make something, it needs to be in the bright tank a couple of days before. Um, so we, we do that rough outline of packaging and then build the seller schedule backwards from that. Um, most of the time, we try and work in at least a 48-hour lead time for our quality department between when we transfer the beer into the bright tank um, prior to package, just so that they can do all the requisite tests they need to make sure that that beer is going to be A-OK -okay in the package. Um, and then from there, we also take a look at uh, the seller staff. Um, so we had, um, we've got three shifts of brewing, but we also have three shifts of cellaring. They kind of overlap. Um, and so making sure that there's going to be somebody at any time to do the transfer that we're requesting to make the packaging happen. Um, and then we take into consideration the turnarounds for the bright tanks. Um, we have cycles for closed versus open CIPs of our bright tanks. Um, so we're making sure that if anything is scheduled for a breakdown open CIP, that we're giving a little bit of extra time for the seller to do that process. Um, but yeah, it's the seller schedule is, I know the seller manager probably wouldn't appreciate me to say this, but it is completely packaging driven <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> I understanding. <laughs> so how do you decide what happens in the brew house and when? We're really kind of looking at, you know, 
once we get to that week, uh, we're pretty locked in. We we generally, if we've we've got too much beer, we might cancel a beer. We're not really adding to uh, a schedule, um, but I'd say once a month, we're looking out at the the next month to make sure that you know all the beers that um, we're planning for are still growing what we anticipated. So we keep tabs on on our brews once a month. And really what we, we use uh, the near-term schedule for is um, taking off brews because we've, um, we've really built our, our production forecast to be heavier, um, which I think is a little different than a lot of folks. Uh, you know, it, at first it was like people would get nervous because we were cutting beers off the schedule, but it's a lot easier to cut a 200 barrel batch of beer that you were planning for than to add one uh, the next day. Uh, so we're really just uh, looking at it that way. That's cool. I like that. I think something that we've done over the years is created a culture of people caring about fresh beer. Um, so it's very common that, you know, our cellar manager or brewery manager, or even someone in the cellar will be like, Hey, we haven't touched this uh, Gaelic in two weeks. Are you sure you want to brew that next one? Uh, Cause we've got 600 barrels just chilling, uh, ready to go for filtration. Um, so that sort of thing um, would trigger, you know, let's not brew that Gaelic. Let's, let's run through what we have. So we created kind of like a rough par level of what we want to keep uh, in tank inventory. So not only just like what we have finished goods, but we look at, you know, where our beers are in the process. Do we have enough uh, going into, you know, July? Um, do we have 800 barrels of vacation ready to go at any moment? Because um, that's gone in two weeks. So that sort of thing. Um, we, we, it's definitely not just like a one size fits all. One person makes the call. Um, the whole team can, can make that call and I think feels comfortable. Um, being like, you know what, we're, we're filtering a lot of vacation and we don't have one coming up next week. Let's bring one up. Um, and we do that. That makes sense. That's cool. How much, um, I know like when I did this kind of stuff, um, yeast management was always like just such a important part of this process. Like to what extent does that factor into all this? Yeah. So it's, it's become so important that we created, um, a job around it. So we've got a seller and yeast manager that um, monitors um, our yeast and we've got two brinks uh, going right now that are new um, as of last year. Um, and we've added uh, quite a few different yeasts, um, you know, with our hazy beer, we've added a yeast, uh, got a Belgian yeast and our house yeast and a lager yeast. So it gets pretty complicated um, and can get pretty expensive if we're just getting pitchables all the time. So keeping it um, pretty consistent and, you know, making sure that we do need those beers as we are propping them up. We've got to look uh, a couple weeks, a month, two months down the road and be like, do we actually need to brew this beer right now? Um, you know, it's, it's January or, or are we sure we need to keep brewing Pilsner every week or can that get spread out? That sort of thing. Um, so it's something that really wasn't an issue for Highland Brewing Company because we only had one 
yeast strain up until a couple of years ago, but now that we're juggling for, um, it's real. How does all of this get communicated throughout the organization? Yeah, so we, we put the production schedule um, all together in a format that basically illustrates what everyone is doing for the week. So it's got what the brew house is doing, what the seller is doing, packaging, pilot shipping, receiving, and even our uh, technical services and maintenance department. Um, so it's one document. It's also in Google Sheets, um, but it is basically just a little image of what everyone's doing um, throughout the week. Uh, we take a lot of time to kind of plan out everything that's going on. And then we meet together as a large group. Um, and in that meeting, we, we discuss any kind of pinch points. Um, say, for example, there's a tight turnaround between uh, a seller transfer of a beer to the package. Um, we're talking through that, making sure that the quality team is on board, um, that they might need to plan for a quick release. Um, we're making sure that uh, if the technical services folks need to have a boiler inspection, that the, the brew house and seller and packaging teams are all aware that the boilers need to be off and blown down so that they can have that inspection. Um, so we all kind of we all kind of come together and talk through any kind of interdepartmental work that needs to happen and coordination that needs to make the week go smoothly. Um, and then once we have that meeting, we, we put that little snapshot sheet on uh, TVs throughout the brewery. We've got little Chromecasts that kind of just display that spreadsheet um, so that anybody in production can see what's going on for the week. But also anybody who's at the brewery that maybe is not in production that might be interested in what we're doing, um, they can take a look at the TVs too. Sometimes if sales folks come by and they're looking for a particular keg of beer and they can look at the schedule and be like, Oh, look, it's happening tomorrow. That's awesome. I have an order going out in three days. Um, things like that. Um, and it's kind of just mostly accountability so that everybody kind of knows what everybody else is getting into. Um, and then from there, anytime that we have to update the schedule, once it's been um, kind of discussed as a group, we have a chain of communication to make sure that, Nobody's missing the memo um, after that meeting if any if any major changes are happening. Um, we use Microsoft Teams here, um, and we kind of have a, a little chat that's everybody who comes to the meeting um, is in that chat. So if anything major happens, we can just send a message to everyone at once, and they all know, hey, it's a little different than we talked about, but everything's going to be okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds so much better than the uh, whiteboard I used to stand in front of for hours on end uh, a decade ago, like just erasing and rewriting the schedules. <laughs> sounds, sounds a lot better than that. Um, to be okay. fair, it is kind of a glorified whiteboard. <laughs> it's just digital. Um, okay, so what happens when something just doesn't work? So a distributor needs something faster, people get sick, you know, equipment fails, whatever. What do you do then? Uh, yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, that happens more often than not. Um, there's always some kind of wrench that gets thrown. And I think the biggest thing um, that COVID especially has taught us is that you just got to 
be okay with whatever happens and just not be attached to the plans that you made. Otherwise, you're going to be really sad really quick um, because they, they fluctuate so greatly. Um, I think really paying attention to uh, when it's okay to say no, um, when you need to make something work, um, just kind of getting a feel for, uh, honestly, I want to say like doing, doing things for the greater good for, uh, making sure that it's going to be best for the most amount of people. Um, sometimes you might have to let a distributor down, or sometimes you might have to say, Hey, we have to can an extra hour today to make this order work. Um, and I think really just approaching it with a understanding and an explanation of why you're doing what you're doing is really the most important thing. I think for the most part, people are really understanding um, when you when you kind of give them that give them that backstory. Um, but yeah, just a hundred percent non attachment all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay, um, what advice do you have for new or growing? breweries that are new to all of this? I'd say my biggest piece of advice um, is really to just pay attention to what's going on in all facets of your brewery. Um, pay attention to the beer that's on order and don't just package beer just for the sake of getting it out of the bright tank. Um, I think really that that mentality, that kind of cultural mindset of like, we're going to do this because somebody's asking for it and not just because we want to get the beer out the door um, has really been probably the most revolutionary thing for us in making sure that we have fresh beer um, here on site at the distributor on the shelf is, yeah, just don't, don't make it unless they want it, really. That's my biggest piece of advice. That was Abby Temeshock Reynolds and Matt McComish here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you'd like more details or want to see some of the spreadsheets we discussed today, take a look at Abby and Matt's District Carolina's presentation. As always, check the show notes for a direct link. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.